Yo, welcome back to episode 32 of Your Brain on God, 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 God. It is part three, our last part of our love series. Today, we're going to be talking about the psychology, or maybe more specifically, the neurobiology, yes, a big word, of love. We're going to be talking about what endorphins, what chemicals are released when we're in the experience of love, when we're falling in love, uh, when we're connecting, even attaching to our parents. It's going to be great, hopefully, that you learn a lot lot and uh yeah we're excited that you're here with us enjoy the episode mm-hmm. we're gonna start uh by acknowledging your hair <laughs> okay <laughs> yes just because obviously if anyone's watching this video maybe they haven't seen you in person no your hair is cut my hair is cut everybody and i feel like a new man I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't realize how much I was suffering. (laughs) Sounds so extreme. (laughs) Because it is. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize how much I was going through until I cut my hair. Um, I don't have to use a brush anymore. I don't get dreadlocks anymore. I could put my head out the window without coming back looking like Don King. I don't have to wake up. I literally... It's crazy not having to put your hair in a ponytail. I still will reach behind my head sometimes to put my hair in a ponytail or to take out the ponytail before I go to bed or before I go in the shower to take out the ponytail. And I'm like, bruh, my ponytail is a shadow. There's no... (laughs) (laughs) Like phantom pains, but phantom hair. It's phantom hair. It literally (laughs) is... If you ever heard of phantom pains, it's when you get your leg chopped off and you think it's still there, so you still experience the pain of your leg. That's what I have with my hair right now. Like, like sometimes I'll wake up m- midnight, not actually at midnight, but in the middle of the night <laughs> and I'll wake up in a cold sweat and I'll be like, my hair is dreading. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, oh, that hasn't dread happened. Not. Dread not anymore. Dre- <laughs> dread not. Oh my gosh. That was good, Daryl. There you go. That was really good. Yeah. No. Anyway, my hair's gone. Everybody, if you're watching this video, you can you can subscribe to us on YouTube. <laughs> Your brain on God. All right. We are right in this are. thing right where you are. Subscribe to us on YouTube, and you can see my new hair. Yes, it's short. Yes. Did I give it to Locks of Love or any of those donation sites? No, I didn't. <laughs> and every time I tell somebody no, I feel like a bad person. <laughs> oh my gosh, Aaron. Let me just tell you. Somebody actually asked me if you did that. <laughs> yes. Because they see you and they see your heart. You know, they know you're a good, kind-hearted person <laughs> who would, and you've been growing out your hair for so long, they they thought that must be such a sacrifice. He must be yeah. doing it for a good reason. He's probably cutting it off to donate to the people in need. Yeah. People are, people are telling me a bunch of spiritual reasons. It's crazy. I just cut my hair because I wanted to cut my hair. And that's, I said that. I was like, I don't think so. No. And they're like, really? Like, so, some guy came up to wanted me to cut said, it. It's a good thing that you cut your hair. I said, why? He said, because it shows that it wasn't an idol. <laughs> I said, thank you. But it was never an idol. Like, I wouldn't even think of it that way. I think I think hair, though, there is like, uh, you know, even in scripture, it's like almost like hair is the crown or it's like the glory, the glory of a woman. Of a woman. Mm-hmm. There is an aspect where you feel like it's a part of you, though, you know, and when I was mm. getting it cut off, my, my mouth was literally agape. Wow. Uh, 
aghast. I was aghast and my mouth was agape. It was, my mouth wouldn't be a jar. I don't know. Anyway, my mouth was open the entire time they were cutting it, and she was just buzzing. I went to Supercuts, super nice. I haven't been in Bean. I haven't been in Supercuts probably since I was twelve years old when my mom would make me get a haircut. Dang. Wait, so you haven't like gone to a place to get your haircut, or just Supercuts specifically? No, Supercuts. But I mean, when I got it trimmed, I've only gotten it trimmed by Abby, by my girlfriend, and then I've gotten it trimmed at like a salon. Okay. But I got it by a friend, so it was like basically free, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was like good at what she does doing or whatever. Right. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was it was crazy. But hair, I, I think there is like something. It actually made me realize something. Like we think a lot of those things maybe in the Bible are like just like cultural. Like that's so stupid or that's so like I don't know. Like that's just a cultural thing or it's even like putting a putting down of women that it's like because it was like their hair is their glory or their covering or something like that. But I felt like I I felt the loss of that when I cut my hair. Wow. Like it was almost like. Ah, it kind of does feel like it's a part. It is a part of like your identity or your personhood, and and I, I'm sure there's deeper psychology on it that I don't know about. But that's interesting because of all, like the cultural, not even just for women, but the cultural references of people cutting their hair, shaving their head, right in times like mourning or in shame, right, <clears throat> uh, or like it being shameful, like samurais to get their 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 uh, hair cut off. And then it's no longer long anymore. Or I was reading the Bible, like uh, they, the Israelites, some of the men got um, by the Assyrians or something, they shaved their beards. Mm-hmm. And it was shameful, like shaving mm-hmm. certain parts of uh, like your face or something was like shameful not to have a beard for them or something. Right. I don't really get all that. But anyway, it felt like a loss. But wow. but but at the same time, I feel good because I'm, I'm sleeping good. I'm not wait, worrying about hair. There's not, there's like, there's not... <laughs> I am going to say it. There's not hair in my butt crack anymore. That was the big- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That was one of the biggest troubles. Oh, wait, but Aaron, you told me how nice it feels when you pull a hair out of your butt crack. Okay. <laughs> I remember because I couldn't relate. <laughs> I did not ever say that. that. I did not ever say that. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, but there would be... Anyway, I'm not going to go into the details, but any girl with long hair or guy with long hair knows the the pain of having hair in your butt crack. And uh, there's just no possibility for that (laughs) at this point in time. And that leads us into what we're talking about today. Today, We're talking about love. Yes, we are. For part three. Part three. Part three of our love series. We talked about what is love. Baby, don't hurt me. Mm -hmm. And we kind of talked about the cultural views of love. We talked about our own uh, uh, views of love and how to grow in love. And then we talked about the biblical view of love, Jesus being love, that the scriptures actually say that God is love. Not even that he's just loving, but he is love, which is one of the the few things. Uh, times that the bible says that god literally is something like he is personified as that thing and and then today we're going to be going over some of the psychological aspects of love uh, some of the things that are actually happening in our brain because what we've realized in in our study over the last couple weeks is that love is a drug it is like and that's a song i think i don't know who it's probably Love is a drug. It is a drug. It is a drug. That's a song. That sounded like a Michael Bolton song. I don't know if I know that one. Love is a drug. It is a drug. Love is a drug. (laughs) 
I don't know that song. No, wait, no, that don't I, think I know. I, that. I'm not saying the melody was Michael Bolton. I just sounded like my voice was. Anyway, okay. So we're talking about love, <laughs> love being a drug because there are so many chemicals. Uh, uh, endorphins going on in our brains when we're having the experience of love. So we're going to dive into more of the experience of romantic love, but it also ties in to our experience of familial love, uh, brotherly love, and the other types of love as well. But Daryl, why don't you tell the good people about the addiction of love? Yeah, yeah. So love is very much like a drug. And it's... uh, in this sense, it's like maybe it's not the psychological as much as the neurological. It's like the bio, like what's happening. Right. Yeah, the biology, the, the the chemistry in our brain, and the different hormones and all that kind of stuff. But on an actual practical level, mm-hmm. it's like a drug because of the experience that it creates within us. And I was right. listening to Doctor he- uh, Helen. Fisher, Dr. Helen Fisher, she's done tons of research. A biological anthropologist. Yes. And she did a ton of research on people who are in love and different experiences of love. And anyway, she said this. She said that love love has all the characteristics of addiction. She said uh, like the focusing on the person, uh, like an an obsessive thinking about them, uh, craving for them, a distortion of reality. Like Mm -hmm. whenever you're addicted to something and you look at something and you kind of see things in a different way so that way it's good for you, right? Mm -hmm. That you want that and you need that thing. Uh, It creates a willingness to take great risks to have that thing or that person. Um, she said that these are other big things when it comes to addiction is tolerance is that you need to see them more and more and more. Like if you're addicted to a substance or you're eating something or whatever, you, you need more and more and more of that because that the, the original level isn't enough anymore Has to that satisfy to your craving huh? in marriage, like wanting to see Brittany more and more and more. Right. Yeah. Is she talking about like yeah. erotic love or is she talking about like just, She's just love talking in general? About the experience of love in general. Right. Yeah, I know. I love being with Brittany, thinking about her. But does that fade over time? Because I feel like I hear the opposite. I think that it, well, it depends because this is what has happening in your brain. Mm. That's a great question, Aaron. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But this, this, her research says that it doesn't need a change because people who have been married and say that they're in love 25 years later have the same exact neurological experience as people who just fell in love. So it's like this would be falling in love, but if you continue to fall in love and it's, make it a practice of continue to fall in love, you could feel all of these feelings of addiction. Yeah. It's like when we talk about falling in love, it's like an accident. Maybe <laughs> it's like walking in love. I stumbled into we love. We need to learn how to walk in love mm. so we can stay in love. Mm. Anyway, so tolerance. Right. That's a great question. A, a desire to see someone more and more and more. Right. And maybe that does taper off eventually or somewhat, you know. Um, withdrawals. So let's say you, you don't see them as much as you're used to seeing them. You start suffering for it. You have an internal feeling like a a desire, really like a want just to see that person again. Right. And this doesn't have to just be like a breakup, but it could be, especially within a breakup, you can start having, uh, withdrawals. But if you have a friend, a close friend who moves away and you don't get to see them anymore and you have uh, a level of attachment to them, you can have that same withdrawal experiences where you suffer because of a lack. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing she mentioned was a relapse that you can feel like you've gotten over somebody or you're fine, but then something happens and it triggers the same type of 
uh, hormonal chemo- chemical ex- experience, neurological experience mm-hmm. in your brain to give all give you all those hormones again to now you really want it again and you need you're like craving again. That honestly makes so much sense of relationships. <laughs> like know, if right? you put it in terms of addiction, it's like my god. Yeah, we do all that stuff. You see people all the time like. They break up with somebody and then they immediately or they with somebody terrible even mm-hmm. like drugs are terrible and then you want to go back to them. You know what I mean? Because they make you feel like this certain type of way. It's almost like codependency, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. people that are in codependent relationships. It's like that person is a drug for them and they can't get away. Like yeah. they can't choose even healthy options for themselves because they keep relapsing into this relationship. Totally. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I think that it really is. It has that same type of impact. Yeah. It's just love is a drug. <laughs> love is a drug love is yeah. a drug and that happens from like in the unhealthy relationships at least you see people who, who can go from a dating relationship to a dating relationship to a dating relationship because of these things that are happening inside their brain that right. they're probably not aware of but they feel things because of what's happening and the, and the main thing the main uh well a main chemical or is it a chemical endorphin hormone hormone yeah that's being re- being released is dopamine mm-hmm. which is one of the pri- dopamine and serotonin, other ones as well, oxytocin and norepinephrine and all that kind of stuff. But uh, was it vasopressin as well? Yeah. But the, all these different endorphins are being released in this experience of love. But dopamine specifically is like it. It is the drug endorphin. You know, when when you're, you know, when you take ecstasy or when you're, you know, I don't know all the the neurobiology of all all the drugs, but I know when you when you take hard drugs right a, a large part of it is, is a lot of dopamine is being released in your system it's like the feel-good hormone and that's yeah. a, and that's the same thing that happens <laughs> with falling in love is that that dopamine starts starts releasing inside of your body and i was i was studying it's like there's two different uh two different parts of the brain that are actually experiencing um and it's i think it's more parts but specific parts in this in this one right. study and i think it was i think it's the same lady helen fisher um but it's called the caudate nucleus um it is that your brain is lighting up in these areas that are super dopamine rich when you're experiencing love for somebody when you're falling in love so uh the caudate nucleus is one of them which is associated with reward so dopamine is specifically associated with reward and that's why mm-hmm. that drug is is the reward reward and expectation and then uh, something called the ventral the ventral tegmental area which is associated with pleasure focused attention and motivation to pursue rewards right and so it's like you're constantly seeking like this this satisfaction it's this craving for more rewards right and if it, that's why you get that craving it's like i need that dopamine to get released um in order for that reward to come and then, then that's how probably the dick the addiction starts to that person or something yeah it's yeah. like dopamine is the driver behind it's a lot of things that we do in general right right it's like we do something that releases dopamine and then our brain associates that with a good thing because dopamine feels good it mm-hmm. feels like that's a that's something we want mm-hmm. and so if it's a drug or if it's a person or if it's a food that happens we right. get dopamine release yeah yeah, even more so how it's associated with this this drug culture <laughs> is there was like an article in literally a magazine called Science. Science how, magazine? Yeah. How do, I feel like that's like the OG. It has to be, right? It must be. Science. But they, they did a study on um, on fruit flies. And these fruit flies were like flying away, uh, flying away, flying around. And it was during uh, like mating season. And so when they would apparently fruit flies get rejected 
<laughs> from <laughs> they, fruit flies also suffer from rejection. They, they, so we relate with the fruit flies. Thank you, fruit flies, for having empathy for us. Um, but when they get je- rejected from uh, from the girls or whatever, <laughs> from the ladies, <laughs> from the lady fruit flies. Okay, they actually were, and I don't know how exactly you study this, but they're four times as likely to get addicted to alcohol. Like they would, they would or literally, they, they, when did they drink four times as much, alcohol? four times as much alcohol. Yeah. 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 Not four. I times wonder as how much. often fruit flies drink, <laughs> drink alcohol. Well, they obviously, they obviously probably gave a test like where they would, they yeah, would introduce, yeah. you know, alcohol into, into their climate or whatever. Not their climate. Their, well, their I sound environment. stupid. Their environment. Yeah. yeah. No, you get it. Their the, environment. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. The same thing happens with people with maybe not always alcohol, but something it's because, um, they're they're wanting dopamine, and the alcohol releases dopamine right into the, to the system, and that happens with people with food. I was listening to this other guy; he's a a professor at Stanford Medical uh, School of Medicine, and he was saying that when people really want, uh, if they don't get a relationship that they're wanting, they usually will turn to food because it's their body, it's their brain craving dopamine, a release of dopamine, right, and that gets released from relationships just like it does when we eat something mm-hmm. or when we you know take something and so and it, it can become an unhealthy thing whenever we, the thing we turn to in our desire in that moment of needing satisfaction mm-hmm. we can turn to something unhealthy right right and even though that can be met in a healthy way because what we're really looking for is dopamine <laughs> right right <laughs> in a very like simplistic like biological sense yeah well, our brain just needs dopamine yeah you're you're craving it yeah you're fiending for you're fiending for some love and then you end up you know going into somebody that's why you have those you know the classic the classic breakups where you just eat a bunch of ice cream yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you yeah. eat a tub of ice cream after you have a have a bad breakup and watch a movie and get <laughs> get stimulated because you need to fill out that dopamine receptor yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it, and the same type of thing happens within friendships too. I think with levels of dopamine. Mm-hmm. I think with with uh, romantic relationships, you probably get a lot higher hits of dopamine along with other things that are going on inside of your brain and body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with uh, family or just people who you like to be around, there's levels of dopamine that get released when you're around those people, right? And that's what creates this sense of um, being satisfied when you're around them more, and then you have this feeling of like yes that was a good amount of time we had together mm-hmm. you know that we felt like we we connected and we did something it's like the dopamine is getting released when we spend time with the people that we love mm-hmm. yeah yeah along with along with serotonin and and that's kind of like yeah mm-hmm. yes along with the serotonin which is the i think more of the classic happiness drug you get that release mm-hmm. whenever you exercise whenever you go out in sunlight it's just when things are nice when you feel satisfied right yeah, but it can also be um, really stressful. So what else? What other? Um, what else happens in the brain is that is that cortisol gets released, like like crazy, which is basically the stress hormone, and um, so cortisol gets it released, and that's why when you and have adrenaline that, and adrenaline, so norepinephrine, mm-hmm. which is adrenaline, that that initial feeling when you when you see somebody, or you were saying when you first you know realize that I might like Britney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like whenever I first. Uh, when I first had that moment of like feeling, oh my gosh, I think I like this girl. Right. It was 
my body felt differently. I didn't know what was going on there. I wasn't thinking right. like, wow, there's so much norepinephrine going into my body and cortisol and this dopamine is being released right now. <laughs> but I had this moment <laughs> of like feeling like my eyes opened up wider and I was like taking her in. <laughs> okay. Now you're getting too serious. <laughs> no, but it was like this feeling of, no, because when, when you look at something you want, your pupils dilate because you're trying mm. to take more of it in. That's literally, it happens physically. Like that does? Yeah. When you look at something that you enjoy or you want more of, your eyes dilate. So because you're trying to take more of it in, you get, it's like opening up the window <laughs> so you can have more light in. Uh, your up, your eyes light. literally do that. That's insane. And uh, yeah, but my heart was started to beat. You know, I, my hands are getting kind of sweaty. I started like being a little bit nervous and thinking like, oh my gosh, is she, is she noticing what you I'm, get way too self feeling right now? Because all the uh, norepinephrine, the adrenaline, and the cortisol, right. it's like making me think about these things that could be going wrong possibly in this moment, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> when I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I think I like this girl. Right. And uh, yeah, but yeah, it's like it, it creates this experience of love creates something uh, stressful <laughs> stressful inside of us sometimes. Yeah. And then what happens when the cortisol... Uh, when the cortisol raises is that the serotonin levels. So you, you can tell how love it, it, when you're experiencing falling in love or you're experiencing this affection for somebody, your hormones are going everywhere, right? So you're experiencing this hit of dopamine, like this, this reward center drug, and then you're or endorphin, and then you're getting serotonin, which is this, this other, other feel good, right? But then you're also experiencing this stress. And then that stress decreases the, your serotonin, the serotonin. And then, um, and then that causes you to get like those early obsessive thoughts, like when you when you're first like in the in the infatuation stage, right? So, so your serotonin levels, which probably you know it affects actually how you think, right? Because cortisol raising in your in, in your bloodstream, you're going back to a very primal part of you, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not really thinking logically about things or logically about you know about the situation or about the relationship and that's why you get those people in the, in the infatuation not just people I pretty much you know everybody experiences that that infatuation that love or you have those obsessive thoughts about somebody right and those are all chemicals in your brain so you have these like leveling out all these different things happening inside you yeah because your dopamine's mm -hmm. going up your serotonin is going down so you're feeling less happy but you want more of the person right and yeah it just creates it can create a uh, uh, complicated feelings <laughs> right and that's that's actually what it said too as far as the the um what happens in addiction is that almost reality starts to get distorted distorted yeah yeah and addiction. you start looking for certain things or there's other right. parts of your brain that get come into play because your amygdala will get kick will kick in if you have all this cortisol going through and trying to avoid certain situations and avoid right. people and so maybe you don't interact with somebody in a way that you would want to or maybe you should go and talk to somebody but you decide not to because your amygdala is telling you something bad is going to happen right so you have these yeah you have all of this this release of endorphins which is even causing you to create meaning out of out of certain things that might be in like a actual reality distortion you're not actually seeing clearly seeing the other person clearly it i was actually you know studying that the actual the actual neural pathway that allows you to like make critical assessment of somebody it actually shuts down mm -hmm. when you're experiencing that experience of falling in love or when when you're like in love with somebody the the actual ability to like make critical you know i mean yeah. judgments and and all that so i guess they yeah, have the prefrontal cortex or whatever yeah, to actually judge cortex. things it actually shuts down 
and allows for those other parts of the brain that are dopamine rich to overtake um, that. And they're primitive. They're pri- they're actually primal parts of, of our brain. So the parts of the brain that I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the caudate nucleus and the, uh, the what's it called? The ventral tegmental area or whatever. Those are primitive areas of our brain. They're People part, call it the reptile brain. The, yeah, sometimes. the reptilian brain, right? Those, mm-hmm. are, those are taking over some of those actual cognitive abilities to make those decisions uh, or to actually judge right and wrong or what you actually like and what you don't right and and we talked yeah. about the honeymoon phase i think in the last episode yeah, or, yeah. Or was it the first uh, episode? the first episode the first episode right that there's actually something going on um in inside of you um where we talked about the word the word that the japanese use i think for uh it's it. arabic <clears throat> the arabic the arabic i don't remember what the word is but yeah it has related to the word right. and you know. right 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 but that actually actually happens in your brain as well, where you're not making you know critical assessments of somebody. You're just in this infatuation stage because you're not even thinking through this cognitive ability. You're you're on the dopamine fix. You're on the high. Yeah, that in uh, that that part of the brain that the hypothalamus is the part of the brain that releases and controls our hormone levels, and that part of the brain, whenever it becomes. Um, active it's not something that we are choosing to do right it's not like our choice to have dopamine release when we're around somebody and Mm -hmm. not release when around somebody else you know it's like that's autonomic it just happens automatically and because of that it it bypasses the Mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex right and that's whenever we have a lot of that when those hormones start driving us because it's so primitive to us and so automatic we don't have control over it the prefrontal cortex or the part of our brain that's responsible for decision making gets bypassed which right. is why people do stupid stuff for love right yeah you're not you ain't thinking clearly at all. right you're not thinking clearly you're not really calculating risks as much though you are i mean that's part of the process but you're willing to take greater risks mm-hmm. because of all the the uh the hormones that are inside of you right. that's creating that desire right um something else that i uh learned about the dopamine levels is that whenever someone is craving something so this person was relating it to food if you're craving a bunch of food and you end up not getting food eventually you will stop feeling hunger and the same things happen for relationships mm. that if we start being in uh having distance from a relationship and we really really want the relationship the dopamine inside of, like the do- the need for dopamine is what that feeling is is our brain trying to get dopamine and right. we can turn to food instead we can turn to something else but if we don't if we don't satiate that desire eventually we'll stop desiring that thing right which i guess could be a hopeful thing for some people mm-hmm. if you like you are feeling pain from not having someone around or you mm-hmm. break up or a friend or something or it could be like a warning <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if you're cr- trying to create distance to prove something to somebody, eventually that might not that might just work against you. Right. Because you're you're not because of biologically what's happening inside of our bodies neurologically, eventually that person's going to stop craving. Uh-huh. Because that's just what happens. Right. But can you really shut that off? I don't think you shut it off. I mean, if you fast, if, like think about when you fast for a day, you might be really hungry in the beginning. If you fast for multiple days, you you're you're kind of hungry in the, you know the first day you feel hunger a lot eventually you kind of just don't feel very hungry and you're fine going without food right and you start introducing food slowly again 
And you start getting after a while. And then you start. Unhealthy. Yeah, it can be unhealthy. <laughs> right. And you still have levels of hunger, uh, but it's like not the craving that you had before. Right, right. And when you start eating again, you know, obviously the, that you get that desire back. Yeah, your, your actual capacity to even take in food, your stomach gets smaller. Mm-hmm. I guess that's, you know, people without experiencing those those feelings of love or whatever, they get, you know, they get smaller and the cravings get smaller. But I wonder if it's like... Uh, like a, a drug in if you go a long time without a drug and then do it it's almost like doing it for the first time again like relapsing yeah but you, you're relapsing but also because your body's starting to come back to normal and it's not used to it anymore when you go back to that drug it's like it, it, it's more intense heightened. it's yeah, heightened yeah yeah so i wonder if that's like if that's the same thing when you go without love for a while mm. and then you experience you know what I mean? You have yeah. a relationship with a person and you haven't had that in a while. If if people that have been out of a relationship for a long time experience right. a h- even more heightened level of dopamine or an in- whenever they get it again. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder whenever I uh, left to college, <laughs> do we become used to love? It's like, uh, whatever. I've experienced that before. I've got Ain't, this. Yeah. Oh, this is nothing. New. I don't get as high as I used to, man. Do not get as high on love as I used to. Uh, whenever I left to college before, so throughout high school, I feel like I was always thinking about relationships, but maybe that's just every high schooler guy. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> but anyway, I felt like I was uh, looking for the one so much that I don't know why, but it's was like I you was. Were homeschooled? It's probably because I was homeschooled, actually. <laughs> yeah, think about it. Because <laughs> all I thought about was skating. Uh, when I was, no, when I was in, later in high school and maybe even after graduate high school, I feel like I uh, was looking for opportunities to find the one it's like oh could it be her could it be her could she be the one but eventually when i decided you know i'm just gonna stop looking for a relationship and in the beginning it was hard to not think about somebody that way or at least have that question cross my mind and then it started it eventually became a lot easier and then when i dated again i went all out (laughs) i'm gonna feel all of this (laughs) i'm gonna let myself feel everything it's gonna feel great and it's gonna suck at the same time wait so you went a while with it and then you didn't need it but when you did have it yeah when i started when i dated again i decided mm-hmm. to allow myself to feel everything I, I think the interesting about thing about relationships too and this comes back to also reality being distorted is when you're in it it's very hard to think clearly about it you know like you know after a right. breakup you can look back on a relationship mm-hmm and you could be like oh my gosh <laughs> you know and, and sometimes that's through like a jaded lens or a hurt lens broken lens whatever but a lot of times you can look back and you could see like oh my god that was so unhealthy or you know what i mean or we mm-hmm. really didn't have this right in our relationship or this really wasn't good why did i think that was okay right it's almost like yeah, being outside yeah. of the relationship can make you see clearer which i i think and you know i don't have an experience with with hard hard drugs you know so like i don't know the experience of being out i wonder as well if an addict coming out looks you know i mean looks back on their drug years i I think they would i mean i even look back on my high school days and be like what was i doing what was i thinking but you could see so clearly what you're doing but when you're in the middle of addiction you can't see like you can see it but you can't see it you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like when you're in the middle of an unhealthy relationship you know it's unhealthy but you can't think straight right you know, yeah, it's because of that the hypothalamus that's releasing the dopamine that's saying you need more of this person is bypassing your prefrontal cortex, which is saying this is a bad idea, <laughs> which is actually logical. But then there's also fears involved. 
Right. So fears yeah, yeah. and anxieties, and then that's releasing cortisol as right, well, cortisol, which is super yeah. primitive because that's like fight or flight. Uh-huh. Right. So you can be in a relationship, even in like a, and I say civil relationship by like living in the same space or something like that, a civil relationship with somebody, but be so anxious or be like in fight or flight around them to where you can't even see the relationship correctly. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's how, I, I guess that's how you can get into a, an unhealthy relationship like that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about dopamine specifically? No. I think... Uh, it's dope. It's dope. Nah, I, mean. I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> I told Brittany I wasn't going to say this on the podcast because she told me not to. <laughs> Is it a dad I was thinking about dopamine. I was like... And I thought about the word dope. I was like, that's where the word dope comes from. Dopamine. Because it's so good. Because you want dopamine. That thing's dope. I don't think that's where it comes from. I know, man. She told me not to say it, but I did. <laughs> I think it's come back because that's what they called crack was dope. I don't think it was dope. Yeah, but because the dopamine gets released whenever you take crack. Really? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it was related to dope more than it was. I mean, to crack more than dopamine. Yeah. But what happens when you take crack? You get dopamine you release. Get dopamine. Hey, <laughs> don't do crack. Don't do crack. You can get dopamine another way. Have a good relationship. <laughs> just fall in love and you'll get just as addicted. Oh, man. Yes. Okay. So dopamine is a big part of mm-hmm. of an experience of love, especially specifically within uh, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. It's the, the the thing that creates a craving or the it's the lack of dopamine creates a craving for the person because then you be around that person, you get dopamine released and it feels good. Right. Even in friendships, you get levels of dopamine and you feel satisfied by being around friends. Some people need that more than other people. You know, some people like to be around a whole bunch of people because of the dopamine that gets released by that many people. Other people don't need that much dopamine to be satisfied in a relationship. I bet laughter and friendship is just releasing dopamine like crazy. Mm, Yeah, probably. Yeah. Serotonin too? I don't know. Laughter? I don't know what chemicals laughter specific. We got to look that up. What happens when you laugh? We should look that up. Yeah. Um, but there is uh, another prominent hormone that's related to experiences of love and specifically connection. Mm-hmm. And this is not just about romantic connection, though it is a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. It's very prominent with a, a child and a mother or, you know, child and a caretaker and family members and close friends and people that you are close and committed to. And this is the hug drug, the hug hormone, oxytocin. Oxytocin. Give it up for oxytocin. I feel like it's just an introduction I for know, oxytocin. That, that really was. The <laughs> hug I felt like drug. I needed to clap. I, the, I don't know why. The hug drug, the <laughs> hug hormone. Oh, my God. Oxytocin. Oh oxytocin. Yeah. So oxytocin is uh, another thing that, that um, gets people... Uh, committed and addicted to things but oxytocin is specifically talked about usually in a sense of relationships is that bonding hormone Mm -hmm. it's a bonding hormone it's something that makes you feel connected committed um and uh and willing to put up with somebody (laughs) so uh, i think dr uh, helen fisher said that it's a level of tolerance Oxytocin oxytocin is what allows you to tolerate somebody because in the dopamine phase, right, when you, if you're, let's talk about romantic relationship real quick, 
you're just wanting the dopamine because it feels good and you're it's bypassing all of your your logical thoughts and you're just wanting more of that person because for whatever reason it, your brain is associating good feelings with that person mm-hmm. so you want more and more and more and more of that person eventually as your tolerance level goes up and that person is not giving you as much dopamine as you feel like you need you you might start recognizing things that you don't like about them right things that maybe irritate you a little bit things that are different to how you would do it thoughts that are not the kind of thoughts that you would you would have or you thought they would have or whatever mm-hmm. oxytocin is a thing that allows you to tolerate those differences <laughs> oxytocin is the thing that allows you to stay committed and the thing that that makes you right. feel bonded and connected regardless of the differences regardless of the tension that might happen sometimes mm-hmm. it's oxytocin that creates that uh the the bond and the level of commitment mm. and in our relationships uh i think that uh, something that I, I loved about like the the idea of the honeymoon phase within that the other arabic word is the association with like vines and growth and mm. it's like creating the honeymoon phase creates space for love to take place in the phase of loving somebody when all this dopamine is being released and you're wanting just to be so focused and and like get closer to that person and more of that person more of that person and you're overlooking their flaws overlooking the things that might bother you if oxytocin tocin is being released during that during that phase too mm. and oxytocin is being like established then your willingness to put up with those things when you start knowing noticing them is increased if it's there from the start well, just during that time when you're not thinking about the negative things, uh-huh. if you're developing oxytocin, if your levels of oxytocin are increased based on that person, then you're willing to put up with more. Mm. So if you have actual healthy connection with somebody and that's developed during that time of the infatuation, right. then when you have the less of the, I don't see any of their flaws, when you're less in that space and you can see them as they are, you'll be more willing to, to accept them as they are. Because right. you have the, all this oxytocin that's associated with that person. Right. It's it's like the... That's so weird that we have a tolerance hormone in our bodies. <laughs> it's like what allows us to, to stay bonded to someone. Right. Right? And yeah. not get irritated with them. Right. Yeah. So, some, oh, go for like, it. No, you I was go. talking for a while. I have something else to say, but I can say no, it No, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> um, so, in regards to oxytocin being the bonding hormone something that me and Brittany uh read in our premarital book it talked about staying connected physically whenever you're working through conflict right if you're upset with one another to not withdraw and to physically show that you're not withdrawing by holding hands or placing your hand on someone's leg or arm or hand or whatever and uh that is to symbolize that like you know you're in this together right but What's happening psychological beyond the, like the so the psychological abs, uh, psychological the psychological aspect is that we're um, we're saying yeah I'm here I'm I'm present I'm staying connected to you and I'm choosing to do this and in that choice to stay connected we actually create a a stronger sense of connection because oxytocin is going to be released while we're touching right because oxytocin gets released through physical contact mm-hmm. yeah and so physical contact hugging mm-hmm. there is uh sexual things involved that as well release uh you know oxytocin is being released but with with simple physical touch and a hug creates oxytocin and a sense of of commitment and 
and bondedness with somebody. Right. And so in our relationships, whether it's with family members or with a significant other, having that physical contact actually creates that in a stronger degree. Right. The sense of commitment. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say is just that it actually is called the hug hormone for a reason because, because when, when you, you know, have physical touch that oxytocin gets released and then more stuff happens with it. Like your heart rate slows, it reduces stress and anxiety. And then mm. the, the brain actually has space to actually release endorphins for like more pleasure and, and happiness in that. So you can actually experience more pleasure and happiness in that oxytocin because stress is released, all of those different kinds of stuff through, through physical touch. I was even reading uh, recently about like the, the crazy benefits of like skin to skin contact you know, mm, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. uh, mothers and their babies, like how important it is for, uh, a mother to have their baby, like skin yeah. to skin. Like that's like something so important because it, there's this bond that's created. Um, I mean, when they have the baby, this, ama- this insane amount of oxytocin is created right, when they actually, during birth. yeah, during birth, but actually skin to skin contact is super mm-hmm. and super, uh, super and super, <laughs> super important for the, for the mother and the baby to have as well as with the father too. The father, if they have they have skin to skin contact, that is super uh, crucial for like bonding, especially in the early stages of like infancy. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even from a from an infant, we start developing sense of connection with people. You know, and like it's this is completely separate from romantic love, right? Our sense of love and connection starts from when we're an infant, and our sense of being loved and connected to somebody mm-hmm. starts before we have any any kind of language to frame how we're feeling or, you know, to process things. It's our brain is just absorbing this moment that's happening with our uh, caregiver, our primary caregiver, or, you know, this sense of connection and bondedness happens from an infant. It's like we are so wired to be connected to people. It's insane. Yeah. You know, and it's not even beyond the, the decisions that we make there the the need for relationships are there right it's like right. the need for food is there mm-hmm. the same the same neurological process that happens that causes us want to eat is the same thing that happens when we need relationships right <laughs> it's literally the same neurological process like whenever really necessary yeah it's it's just as necessary relationships are just as necessary as food right <laughs> to, yeah. our, to our body to, and to our the point system. where you can actually crave them yeah yeah uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. And that made so much so much sense when we talked about uh, Eros in the beginning, the first part of this podcast mm-hmm. uh, or the first uh, episode of the podcast series. <laughs> yeah. But Eros is like it creates a craving like you want to eat them. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's literally because it, it's it's coming from the same the same place. Right. The desire for them is coming from the same place that we desire food. Right. Yeah, it's a spiritual interpretation. I love it because oftentimes those things tie in so directly is the neurobiological or the psychological with the actual spiritual. Like there's actually something going on in your brain that allows you to experience even those spiritual aspects of Eros love or agape love or phileo love, sterge love, all of those different types of love. There's there's things actually going on in our brains that are God-given, I think, you know? Yeah, like yeah. God, God-given or endorphins to allow us to even experience pleasure. Like our brain is working for us, you know? Sometimes it feels like it's working against us, you right. know, because it's trying to, you know, it's trying to protect and it's sending cortisol and we're getting afraid and how many of us would wish that we weren't afraid when we ever first you know for me you know ask a girl out or something like that it's like you're terrified and then they say no and you're like ah, 
<laughs> you know, it, it's right. actually a terrifying thing. But even that, you know, it, it creates bravery and courage, you know, at the end of the day. But our, but our brain is really like there's so many beautiful things even in our neurobiology that allow us to experience life in this beautiful in this beautiful fashion, you know, and and all of the even weird idiosyncrasies and, and weird um uh, things that every relationship has like that initial phase or the honeymoon phase or the nervousness the butterflies in your stomach those are all things that are actually happening inside our bodies yeah yeah and it, they're things that we, we can understand choose. them <laughs> right we don't choose to feel them they just they just happen and i think that whenever we under i think understanding the process i mean this whole series on love we mm-hmm. when we talked about it we were we were talking about how we want to just learn how to love better and to be loved better right, right. how to how to love better and receive love better and i think that understanding these simple well <laughs> simple these simplified complicated processes of what's mm-hmm. happening inside of us when we have a feeling of love or maybe when we are not having a feeling of love right. towards somebody there's there are biological things happening inside of our, our body, neurological things happening inside of our body. And if we can understand them, I feel like it helps navigate certain situations better. Right. Maybe not every situation, you know, it's maybe it's not going to impact uh, uh, everything. But when we when we understand that it's the, the dopamine in our brain is 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 uh, or the need for dopamine inside of us is creating a craving for someone. If that's a good craving or bad craving, we can, if we recognize that, we can do something about it. Right. Right. It's like, okay, so it's, I don't need to just do that. I can go find something else, you know, that is going to give me the same sense of satisfaction or maybe not the same exact, but find a healthy way to meet a need that we might be getting met in an unhealthy way. Um, Or if we think about uh, um, oxytocin, this is a big one, I think, for me in the sense of relationships. I think in day-to-day relationships, if it's lacking moments of increasing the oxytocin that we have, that's lacking moments of increasing bonding with somebody. So when I think about a relationship with Brittany, if I were to go day after day after day of barely touching her, right, right, then that's going to create a lack of sense of connection and oneness with her. Right. But if I am aware of that, that that can actually create this feeling of distance. Mm-hmm. I can do the physical touching just to make sure that I want to stay. I want to stay as just as in love with her as I am when I fell in love with her. Right. Right. The studies that Dr. Helen Fisher did, she said that there were people who claimed to be in love still after 25 years and be infatuated with the person. And guess what? Their brain was doing the exact same thing as the people who who were in love when they first you know when they first fell in love. It's actually possible. That's actually crazy. Right. It's possible. And mm-hmm. knowing that it's possible and realizing it's these it's 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 possible and it reflects in our uh bio in our I don't know if biology is the right word, but in our neurology, when it reflects inside of us, mm-hmm. it shows that there's there's something that we can do. Right? Because if we think I'm just gonna fall I'm just falling out of love because that's just what happens. No, it's not just what happens. It's what happens whenever you don't do it, when you don't fall in love on purpose, you know? <laughs> right, It's like, right. I don't think I said this already, but it's like we're falling in love like it's an accident and then we end up falling out of love like it's an accident. Right. But if you walk in love... Like it just happened, you know? Yeah, like if we treat it like it just happens and we can't do anything about it, then that's probably what's going to happen. But if we realize that we can do something, 
to actually increase our love for someone and even mm-hmm. our feelings of love for someone, you know? Because yeah. it's not even just about saying, yes, you're the one, I'm going to stay committed to you, but even increase our feelings of love for somebody mm-hmm. in that sense of like, wow, I really desire you. We can do something to maintain that. Right. And that's something that I did not hear a lot about in relationship advice, you know? <laughs> right. It's like there's people talk about marriage being hard and difficult and I'm and you know, I'm not saying that it's not. But people people talk about the uh you know, the tendency for people to drift apart. And if we don't do anything to intentionally stay connected, that's probably what's going to happen. Right. There was a I just told this to Aaron before we started recording, but the other night, somebody dropped their their ear pot, their earphones, and they fell apart. Right, like one of them fell apart, and it kind of nothing shattered, but it came apart, and like all these parts were exposed. And we picked it up, and we were looking at it, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" I could see the disappointment on their face. They're so sad that they're gonna have to go like buy new ear- earphones, you know, and just they couldn't use the ones that they had. And the people next to me, they thought the same thing. Oh, well, they're probably not that expensive. We could just buy new ones. But I literally, I picked it up and I just looked at it and I looked at the parts and I saw the way that they kind of would fit together and I just reassembled it and pressed it in. It literally just clicked. And it clicked and it was fine. And I, I feel like sometimes relationships are like that. Like something seems to get, something happens, maybe it was right. an accident and it falls apart. And then we think there's nothing we can do to resolve it. And I'm, I mean, obviously there are situations where that are, the headphones would have been shattered, you know, and you know, that's some, that, that could be a different situation, but in some circumstances, whenever something, a bad situation, hap- situation happens in a relationship, it's not always irreparable. Right. And I think understanding what's happening inside of us can help us have some level of, of, uh, insight into, well, what can I do to to repair this? What can I do to try to love this person better? What can I do to try to fix this relationship? How can I restore this? How can I create this sense of love and connection again that maybe I don't have right now? There are practical things we can do and it's not just up to whatever happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think another thing that it it helps me with is not feeling crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, just, just an understanding of what's happening um, inside of you when you're when you're getting nervous or you feel like infatuated or I guess sometimes we can, I know I can look down on those things. Like, like you said, there's a looking down on the honeymoon phase. It's like, Oh, well you're just in the honeymoon phase or, you know, you're just in that, you know, infatuation stage. Like we say that a lot. We say it a lot, especially to uh, teenagers, which I think is semi true, but also semi dangerous because semis, because teenagers experience of love is just like our experience of love you know and so right. what they're actually feeling is very real but we downplay it a lot but but i think um it with understanding kind of those chemicals what what's happening i keep saying chemicals but endorphins um they are chemicals, chemicals but yeah, yeah you know what what's happening in our brain it, it makes me feel like less crazy you know like i know what's happening it's like oh my gosh i'm experiencing all this stuff going on me or i'm experiencing anxiety about this or i'm experiencing you know those types of of feelings it's like i i know that those things are are more natural you know right and i guess in in some sense i would even think that um you know, there are people with maybe uh, chemical imbalances. And so there's ways to even help uh, people feel those things or regulate those things, even in relationships that are in like really tough mm. ways. So like I, mm-hmm. I would, Im- I would imagine obviously, you know, antidepressants and, um, you know, anxiety medication 
you know, that stuff regulates kind of your, your hormones and your production of those different types of things. So I would imagine even in relationships, you know, I mean that there's, that there's help out there, you know, to, right, to kind right, of right. like regulate those, those things going on, um, inside of us, at least as a start to understand what's going on inside of us, you know? And then, um, so it helps me understand myself and understand my mind more, which allows me to make better decisions, you know, about what's going on. So if it's like, especially I think relationships allow, uh, sometimes for me, um, uh, lead me to make rash decisions, you know? So mm-hmm. understanding that it's like, okay, I'm not maybe thinking logically. I need to maybe sit, take a step back, you know? And I know I wish I, you know, maybe knew this earlier in previous relationships where it's like, I need to take a break, like a week, you know, we just need to take a week off. I need to get out of this relationship so I can actually see clearly because, you know, mm. these parts of my brain are not active. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I cannot like cognitively, you know, like I'm like, nothing's coherent right now. Like right, I'm right. in the midst of this thing, you know? So, so it's hard, but I think that's helpful to know. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun to know too, for me, it just fascinates me. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated by the fact that God put this together again. You know what I mean? Like he, he's the one that gave us the brains that we have and the, the endorphins that we have inside of our body and, and the way that the body works is, is beautiful. If anything, it makes me, you know, it puts me in a state of wonder of, of God's creation, you know, of, of who we are and what we are and, and what's going on in our bodies when we're experiencing this love. And even that aspect of, of, uh, relationships being as important as food, you know what mm. I mean? Like the same chemical being released for wanting food is wanting like a relationship or wanting intimacy or wanting connection, wanting love. Like that shows like such a value, even for the, the way that my chemicals are placed inside my body, you know right, what I mean? That yeah, God has yeah. intended and purposed me uh, for love, for connection, and for relationships. And I think that gives um, a greater sense of purpose in that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Amen. Your brain on love. Your brain on <laughs> love. I hope you enjoyed this series, guys. Man, we, we love talking about love. It's so good, and there's so many, I mean, we could do another, you know, how many episodes on it, you know, keep on going into the, the it's so multifaceted, there's so many different ways uh, to understand love and to, to love people, but uh, we hope in these last three episodes that you were encouraged, that you were inspired to love more, to be filled with love more, to understand uh, what's going on in, inside of you, even when you're, you know, desiring, craving affection, and when you're wanting to give it to other people, when you're you know, having that that draw or that craving for other people, I think, I think it's important to know... Um, that we can be even friends with our bodies. And I, you know, like I think that's important because sometimes it feels like my biochemistry is going a complete different way than maybe my will. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we're totally. feeling a whole lot of different things that different endorphins are making me do that. It's like, I don't want to do this, you know, but, but understanding that and making friends with some of those things inside of us allows us to love better. And so, um, I, I hope, yeah, I hope that we hope that you guys were encouraged and that you guys are filled. And we're so excited to, to come back with more, uh, content for you guys be good yeah yeah all right we'll see you guys in a couple weeks make sure to follow us on instagram on spotify itunes uh youtube uh subscribe you know i don't even know if that bell thing hit the bell whatever notifications yeah everything we love you guys and we'll see you in a couple weeks peace later